Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Milton Bible Church Online. Glad that you can join us this morning. I just want to remind you, just to kind of give you a shout out there as you're watching online, take a second and just connect with us. Go to the Connect card on Facebook or YouTube or on our website. Just let us know that you're watching. We'd love to know that you're there. And know this, consider yourself cyber hug. All right. All right, we're in this series, The Promises of God. And today we're going to look at this promise, the promise of a foundation of freedom. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. And I'm just going to go through those verses with us and for us this morning. So it, there was a, it was an overcast day in Florida. It was the winter of 2013, so a few years ago. And the story goes that the, there was a man who, whose family had lived in this same house for generations, suddenly and tragically lost his life when a sinkhole, a large sinkhole opened up beneath the home's foundation, causing the floor and the entire structure to collapse under its own weight. The, floor, the, the home was, was literally swallowed up, and the man was lying asleep in his bedroom at the time. Lost his life. Tragic consequence. Experts say that there are parts of Florida where the limestone that lies beneath the earth's surface is slowly eating away at these houses, the foundation of, of these homes and structures. And of course, when enough of the foundation uh, is eaten away, erodes away, it causes a deficiency, a void, a fault. The structure just collapses under its own weight. So when you think about that, you think about the importance of building something like a physical structure, a house that we live in, a an organization, a family, or a church. It has to begin with a solid foundation. The foundation is where we start. It's the beginning. It is that firm ground. It is that stable, unwavering, unmoving, unmovable rock on which the whole structure stands. And it's crucial that we get it right. Because again, the consequences can be very extreme. Jesus addresses this, this foundation, in Luke chapter 6, verse 49. He says this. He says, when, when the one who hears my words, foundation, and does not do them is like a man who built a house on a ground without a foundation. And when the storm hit, it fell, and great was its ruin. So it's important that we get this right. Today, I'm going to set the context before we dive into this beautiful passage from 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter, 1 Corinthians, to a church at Corinth. So let, let me just stop there for a minute. Now, when I use the word, when I say to you the word church, what's the first thought that comes into your mind? Is it that building here on Chisholm Street in Milton? Is it the, the building uh, across town with the large steeple? Is that the first thought or image that comes into your mind? Well, that's not wrong, but that's not entirely correct either. Because the word church literally means those who have been called out, those who have been set apart, those who have repented of their sins, trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, confessed their sins, and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And now we gather together. We gather to worship Christ. We gather to grow in our relationship with Christ. And we gather to go in our service of Jesus Christ. So this church, this group of people, 
in Corinth at the time, was located, as I said, in this major city, Corinth in Greece. It was on a trade route just west of Athens. It, it was a pretty diverse place. This is the place where actually the temple of the sex goddess Aphrodite existed. It was a place of diversity in commerce, in ideas, and in practice. Basically, if it felt right, do it. Sound familiar? Uh, this church was established during Paul's second missionary journey. And it was a gifted church. Now, what do I mean, what do I mean by that? Gifted church. Well, as you come to faith, saving faith in Jesus Christ, as, as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells your heart. And the Holy Spirit also blesses you, blesses all of us with at least one spiritual gift. This church in Corinth was very gifted. They, were, they, they, were, they had come to faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit had blessed them with spiritual gifts. But here's what happened. They were comparing. And jealousy arose. They were comparing their gift, my gift with his, or her gift with hers, and so on. And, and inevitably, whenever you compare, whether it's spiritual gifts or the way you look or what you have, you don't measure up, or so it seems. And this comparison, this jealousy, led to strife, a conflict. So Paul addresses that. Paul is writing this letter to recalibrate, to correct, to challenge them, and to challenge us here today to not to take for granted the grace of Jesus Christ. Because it begins and it ends right there. So let me pray, and then we're going to dive right into this passage. Father, open our hearts and our minds now to hear from you as we uh, dive deeper into this passage. Open, open to us the wisdom from above. Lord, help us to see how important it is not to neglect the grace of Jesus Christ. And be with us, those watching online right now or at home, Lord, just in the same way that we would gather together for the purpose of being um, further encouraged by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so strap on your seatbelts. We're going to dive right into this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, but I, brothers, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So let me stop right there. Right there, the Apostle Paul is drawing for us a contrast. All right, there, there's two kinds of people in the world. Those who, as I said, who have repented of their sins and trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, their relationship with God, once severed by sin, now reestablished through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I acknowledge my sin and my need for that Savior. And, 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 and then there's two people, now those people who form the church, and now there's two different kinds of people within the church itself. Those who are mature and those who are maturing those who are mature and those who are immature. All right, Paul, Paul is saying, I could not address you as that. I could not consider you that as spiritual people, people of the flesh. So here's the other contrast, this spiritual people and flesh. Flesh, flesh is a way of describing the way the world works, in which uh, our, our focus, our thoughts, are focused on our desires to fulfill those desires. Spiritual people have their, hopefully, those who are who indwelt with the Holy Spirit are, are spending time, intentional time, in focusing and influencing their thoughts towards Jesus Christ. And that's crucial. 
Because we will move, we will lean into the direction of our strongest thoughts. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about that in 2 Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. He says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's what he's talking about here. He said, I couldn't consider you a spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, infants in Christ. Verse 2, he said, I fed you with milk those years ago when Paul and Apollos planted that church. I fed you with milk. You weren't ready for solid food. Apparently now you're still not ready, he says. Even now you're not ready for it. Now, you know, this is an analogy, the infant, a child, an infant grows into a child, becomes an adult. You're not going to sit an infant into a high chair and put a nice big juicy steak before him and say, go ahead, dig in. It's not going to work. You nurture that infant with milk, and then the infant grows up into, uh, into adulthood. Now, that doesn't mean you, you discard milk. You can still enjoy a nice cold glass of milk, but here's the point. Milk will not satisfy or should not satisfy. You will want more. And that's what Paul is saying. You should want more, deeper things of the Lord. Don't be satisfied with just what you had back then. So if you want to compare, compare yourself to who and where you were Last week, last month, last year. How you doing? How you doing as it comes to your relationship with the Lord? Verse 3 says, uh, for you are still of the flesh. He says that again. This word flesh. You're still of the flesh. For while, here it is, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? All right. There's jealousy and strife. I, I alluded to that. This comparing. And invariably as you compare, you're going to, you're going to come up short, or so it seems. And this strife, he uses the word strife here. Strife is a conflict, a bitter conflict that can create this strife. He says, this jealousy and strife, you're behaving, now I love this, I love this. At the end of verse 3, he says, behaving only in a human way. This is the first expression right here of, of grace. Paul's not condemning them. He's not criticizing them. He's encouraging them. He is, he is rebuking them, but he says only in a human way. Meaning, don't be all in on that. Don't be only about that. That that is your single pursuit. Why? Because there'll be times where you let your guard down and you might start to default to that. So don't be only about that. Be about the things of the Lord. He says in verse 4, he says, but, and he's going to get very specific here as it relates to this comparison. He said, for one, when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Paulus. Are you not being merely only human? Right? Don't hitch your wagon behind Paul or Apollos. Right? Go and follow Jesus. And the Apostle Paul addresses that, because that, that happened to him a number of occasions, where people would say, I'm all about Paul, or I'm all about Apollos. And he would say this about that. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we're not trying to draw followers to ourselves. We're pointing people to Jesus Christ. So don't be only about that, merely about that. Your single pursuit, it'll happen. But recognize it when it does. Repent of that, repent of that, and follow Jesus Christ. And then verses 5 to 9, so he moves from this analogy of the flesh, which creates factions, in verses 5 to 9, he's now going to use this analogy of a field. This uncultivated field, cultivated, and the purpose, the reason for cultivating a field is to produce fruit. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, 
What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? He asks the question, and then he answers it. He says, servants, through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. He says this of himself on Apollos. Now, what do we know? What do we know about Apollos? Apollos was an evangelist. He was a church leader. Apollos was Jewish by birth, and he was from Alexandria in Egypt. Paul, the apostle Paul, grew up in Israel. Israel, Egypt, there's a large distance, geographic distance between the two. They would probably not have even known each other, knew each other existed, until God brings the two of them together for this purpose, to plant the seeds of the gospel in their midst. He says, we're just servants. We're just bond servants. We, we, a bond servant puts themselves under subjection to the master willingly, joyfully. He says, that's what we are. No big deal. He says, you know, through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. That was their assignment. Paul and Apollos was to be used of God as instruments of grace. Their assignment, the church at Corinth, the people there, was to come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's amazing. He goes on to say, verse 6, he says, I planted, Paul, Apollos watered. He says, but God gave the growth. God made it grow. I planted, you know, for those of you who are Gardeners out there, you know how the hard work, you get the spade, you dig the spade in the soil and you, you plant the seed and you water and you nurture and you pull the weeds out and so on. It, it, there's a lot of effort. Paul is drawing this analogy. He said that's what they did. They planted the seeds of God's word, the gospel. Apollos and he working together and nurturing. It's discipleship. That's what it says right here. But the important part is God gave. God made it grow, past tense. And then look at this, verse 7. So neither he who plants, Paul, or he who waters, Apollos, is anything. No big deal. But only God who gives the growth. God made it grow, and God makes it grow, past, present, and future. But, but, but note this in verse 7. He doesn't even name himself anymore by name. Nor does he name Apollos. Why? Because he doesn't want to confuse them or us to, to think that it was only Paul and only Apollos who could do this. No. That baton got passed down the generations right to the present day. So here it is. Insert your name and my name. That's our task. Planting and watering. But God is the one who gives the growth. God gave and God gives the growth. Verse 7, he who plants and he who waters is anything but God who gives the growth. God continues to make it grow. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one. We're one and the same. Again, you see he doesn't even name. He doesn't even name. Fill in the blank. It's your name, my name. He who plants, he who waters are one. Each one will receive his wages according to his labor. Now, what, what is his wages that he's talking about? You know what his wages are? More of the same. Faithfulness in this task, God says that. You'll be faithful with little, I'll give you more. There's other fields that need to be cultivated. There are other places to go and plant the seed, the sweet aroma of the fragrance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No greater reward. That was their reward. That's our reward. And then verse 9, things begin to pivot now. Things begin, this is the hinge. Verse 9, 10, 11 are crucial in this text. Let's look at what he says in verse 9. He said, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So here he says, he uses the word God's, an apostrophe S, which highlights possession. You, we belong to God. Paul is saying, 
Apollos and I, we, we just we belong to God. We're just fellow workers, and we are hand, we are instruments of grace in the hands of the Redeemer. And he says of them, you are God's field. You are that uncultivated field that we came and we planted and we sowed and we nurtured. And then he says, you're God's building. He's going to take the analogy from a field now and he's going to take the analogy into a structure, a foundation. This foundation, verses 10 to 12, this foundation is forever. This analogy of a building, what, what, what does he mean? He said, you are that place of refuge. You are that place, that, that city on a hill where, where people will know. You are that place where people who are seeking hope will come to. As, you, as, you, as, we, as we are purveyors of hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then verses 10 and 11, here it is. Crucial that we get this right. Look at this. Look at the, oh, man, I love this. Verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation someone else is building upon. What's he saying? He says, according to, in agreement with, in consistency with, and not, not in opposition to, but complete consistency with the law of God? No. The grace of God given to me. Paul, that's almost redundant. Why would you say given to me? Because if it wasn't given to you, then it's not grace. Exactly. If it's something that he earned, then it's not grace. Grace given to me. God bestows grace on, on the Apostle Paul, on you, on me. So how do we even come to terms with this? How do we define this incredible grace? Think of it in this way. You have grace, and then you have mercy. Okay? They're similar, and they do overlap, but they do differ in this way. Mercy is not receiving what I deserve. I deserve the wrath of God because of my act of rebellion, because of my own sinful tendencies past and still struggle with today. But, but God, in his mercy, he withholds that, and instead, I receive grace. I receive God's unmerited favor, his unmerited Love for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who should ever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God withholds mercy. Mercy, he withholds what I deserve. And in his place, I receive this incredible unmerited love of God. And grace, the characteristics of grace. Grace does not accumulate, it accommodates. Grace does not belittle or berate. Grace beckons. It's compelling. And grace does not dominate. Grace liberates. Right? Look, look what he goes on to say, in case we're not sure about this. He says, because according to this grace, he says, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Now we know this, that Paul was actually a tent maker, and he, he traveled around that, that, that known part of the world for, for uh, many years, and he traveled many miles, and he planted churches, and he was a missionary, and he was a pastor, and he was a tent maker, and he says, but like a skilled master builder, Skilled master builder. What does that mean? That means he learned his skill over time, trial and error. Not always got it right, but over time and over trial and error, he understood the importance of making sure that the foundation of grace was never taken for granted. Skilled master builder, exceptional degree of skill over time. He said, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. Let each one of you take care how you build upon it, this foundation which is what? Verse 11. 
No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Do you get it now? You see that? Grace, the foundation, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the foundation, grace. Those terms are interchangeable. It's the same thing. They're one and the same. But here's the point. Grace is not a destination that I arrive to. Grace is not just an idea or a philosophy. Grace is a person. It's Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul addresses that very thing. Listen to this in Titus chapter 2. Who was Titus? Titus was a young pastor in the island of Crete. He says this in a letter that he sends to Titus. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. He says that, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Jesus. Verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to be self, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul could not stop talking about Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm just totally blown away. I love Jesus. I am madly in love with Jesus. So Paul says this about the foundation. Then he goes, then look at this verses 12 and 13. This seems to be a little incongruent with everything he said to this point, but really it's not. It's, it's a stroke of brilliance. It's genius. Wow. The Holy Spirit is the one who authors this through the Apostle Paul. He says, now if anyone builds on the foundation, grace, Jesus, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest on the day. The day will disclose it. What is he saying? Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Another contrast. You know, you can, you can almost picture the Apostle Paul as he's writing this letter. Now he's writing this letter, by the way, at Ephesus, he receives word about this conflict. As he's in Ephesus, he's in modern-day Turkey. He's on the east side of the Aegean Sea, and, and they're in Greece. So he receives word that this is going, so he sends a letter back. And you could picture him sitting there at his desk on a table with his parchment, you know, his writing material, his quill, his pen, and he's thinking to himself, what, what structure can I use to compare the, the height, the width, the breadth, the length of this, the beautiful mystery of the magnitude of grace. Well, everything pales in comparison. But he comes up with this eureka moment. I know. I know what I can compare grace with. It's the temple. The temple in Jerusalem. Now, we know that Jerusalem, the topography of Jerusalem is very hilly. Right? And right smack dab in the middle of Jerusalem, you know what was there? The temple. The magnificent structure of the temple. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. And the temple was there in right smack dab in the middle of Jerusalem. And what do we know about this? The Bible tells us that the temple took 46 years to build. And the Bible also tells us that the temple was overlaid with gold and silver and precious stones. And here's the cool thing. When, when the midday sun was at its apex, at its very highest point, the rays of the sun would hit the temple overlaid with gold, silver, and precious stones. And it would, be, it would shine so bright that it was almost blinding to the naked eye. And you could see that, that, that shining temple for miles and miles away. And you never would mistake in it for something else. 
Paul says, yeah, that's what it's kind of like. Even that pales in comparison, but that's what it's kind of like. In comparison, in contrast to wood, hay, straw. Grace and works. Now, by the way, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. All right? So the things I do, I do now in response to this incredible grace that God has showered upon me. Not that I would receive grace, but in response to it. Because I'm so in love with Jesus. I can't earn it. But now I do these things because I want to, not because I have to. So Paul says, be careful. Be careful that you're not stressing. You're not stressing this that I have to, but stressing the I want to. Stress grace. Make that the emphasis. Be careful. Be careful of the building material that you're using to build upon this foundation of grace. In John chapter 1, verse 16, the apostle John says, From his fullness then we have all received grace upon grace. Upon grace. Upon grace. Anyone builds on the foundation, this foundation of Jesus Christ, grace, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the day. Verse 13, each one's work will become manifest. No. For the day. Now, notice this in the, in the text. The word day is capital D, meaning there's one specific day that Paul has in mind here. Not in general terms, one specific day. The author of Hebrews addresses that, talks about that day this way. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. The author of Hebrews says, For it's appointed to for man to die once, then comes the judgment. That's a day not to be feared for Christians, not at all. But for those who have yet to repent of their sins and trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that's not going to be a good day. But Paul's saying here about that day when we stand in the presence of Jesus, when we look Jesus right in the eye, what are you going to do? Are you going to put all your accomplishments before him and say, Jesus, look at what I did for you. That's not going to go very far. That day will disclose it with the things that you did. Again, grace is not opposed to effort, but grace is opposed to earning. Because if you could earn it, then it's not grace. And that day, will be, it'll, be, it'll be known, it'll be revealed. Because it'll be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work, what you did in response to the grace. Not that you received it, I have to be so that I can do what sort of work each one has done. Verse 14, the work that anyone has built on this foundation survives, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. What are you talking about? Reward and loss. Okay? We're not earning, certainly on this side of heaven, so you're not about to do earn anything on the other side, uh, on, on eternity in the presence of Jesus. So this reward and loss is back to gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. On that day, the fire that Paul refers to is a cleansing and consuming fire. It's a metaphor. And in that day, on that day when we stand before Jesus, we won't have much, you won't say anything. You'll be on your knees. I would assume I'm going to be overwhelmed in the presence of Jesus. You're not going to list your accomplishments. You know why? Because they pale in comparison. The reward is gold, silver, precious stones. And you know what about the fire? Gold, silver, precious stones, they actually increase in value over time. And the fire actually, you know what the fire, what these precious stones in the midst of the fire, the heat, the heat creates uh, this means by which the impurities rise to the top. You skim them off and what's left over is even more pure. As opposed to wood, hay, straw in the midst of the fire, you know what happens? Gone. 
So the reward and the loss is this. In the presence of Jesus, you'll see the things that will increase in value, the grace, as opposed to wood, hay, straw, these things, these works, these things that I'm, I'm, I'm heaping burdens upon people. I myself am not able to keep gone as though they didn't even exist. Paul says he, this person who unwittingly maybe emphasized this earning as opposed to grace, he, he will himself will be saved, but only through the fire. It's like the builder will be saved, but, but someone barely escaping through the wall of flames. And you know, once saved, always saved. So how are we to conclude this? Listen to what Paul says. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. So no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, gold, silver, precious stones, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? Come to saving faith in Jesus Christ through grace alone. And there are good things that God has prepared for us as we walk in them. We move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So our God is the God of all grace. The Holy Spirit who indwells us is the spirit of grace. God's throne is the throne of grace. His word is the word of God's grace. It is grace from start to finish. All right, as we wrap up, let me leave you with this. Jesus is our model. Making disciples of Jesus is our mission. Love is our mandate. The Holy Spirit is our means. And the gospel of grace is our message. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this. The reminder of the importance of the foundation of grace, which is Jesus Christ. May we not set that aside, either wittingly or unwittingly, or take it for granted and move on to something else. Lord, just recalibrate our, our hearts and our minds in the direction of Jesus Christ. Retrain our desires, Lord, that our affections would be for Jesus and for the gospel and to, and to share our faith with others. This world is desperate for hope. So bless us with that, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.